0: This podcast is brought to you by the book The Memoir Project, a thoroughly non-standardized text for writing and life, published by Grand Central Publishing. Recently updated and reissued in a new edition, it will teach you everything you need to know to write memoir. For more information, see the show notes or purchase wherever books are sold. Welcome to Courty. I'm Marion Roach-Smith. Each episode, I talk to writers from all genres to discover what makes a good read. And along the way, we discuss their writing process, discover their tips, and talk about what matters most to writers. So step away from the computer or typewriter for a bit and join us. Today, my guest is young adult novelist and writer Sarah Ennie. She has a YA novel out and is the host of a podcast for writers, as well as the host of a mini-series podcast on publishing. So our expertise is not only writing, but how exactly to thrive and not just survive the publishing experience. Welcome, Sarah.
1: Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: You're just so welcome, and as I said in the intro, you've published a YA novel called Tell Me Everything, out by Scholastic, but let's give people a little bit of context here. The young adult market, or YA market as it's called, is aimed at kids aged like 12 to 18. Most YA protagonists are pretty much in those those ranges of age, and the story is mostly told through their eyes. But amid a struggling industry that is publishing, the number of YA titles published has more than doubled recently. And that's interesting. But here's a really curious detail. Many of the readers are adults. So let's talk about this. First of all, are you a YA reader?
1: Yes, yes, I very much am. So I came to Young Adult after, in about 2008 or 2009 which is true for a lot of people, I had just left college and I was kind of rediscovering the joy of writing and I found, like many other people, Twilight and The Hunger Games and, um, you know, tons of other writers like Sarah Czar, um, Gail Foreman, Jenny Nelson. So, um, i was I was and am a huge young adult reader. I'm sure you would also encourage other people who write in certain categories to read widely
0: in those categories. So, um, yeah, i'm I'm yes. reading tons of stuff for teens. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And it seems to me that every writer I know, has a period in their early adulthood when they take on the topic of domesticity. Lots of my friends who are novelists, they start in a relationship where they get married and suddenly they're writing about cooking and they're writing about navigating that new space. Then as they have kids, they start crafting children's books. It's so, it's inevitable. Every new parent I know who's a writer is like, oh, I've got a kid's book. But this topic of adolescence, that creepy, crawly time of our life when nothing makes sense is obviously to be written By adults. I mean, obviously, adolescents aren't writing these books, but there's this space that we need to have from adolescents so that it not only makes a little more sense, but it has some of that real, well, it has that expertise that you have to bring to it. It has that, has to have that discernment, I guess is the word I'm looking for. So what was the moment as a writer when you realized that you had, well, discernment and that you could actually have something to say about that imponderable period of life.
1: (laughs) Um, I love this question so much. And by the way, this is like a very, a great question to come from a memoir writer, I think. This is (laughs) uh, because, and, and the reason I bring up that fact in particular is because it's not that I didn't feel like I had something to say about adolescence, but the curious thing about young adult and the thing that we go back and forth with about this category is, what makes a young adult novel a young adult novel? Because as you know, of course, many adults write about teenagers or about their teenage self, but kind of indisputably, those books are for adults. They really are sort of Mm. taking the adult lens and perspective of life and applying it to that age. Um, Stuff like what comes to mind is a recent novel by Rufy Thorpe called The Knockout Queen. It's about teenagers, but it's from the point of view of a protagonist that's grown up. So it's Looking mm-hmm. back with perspective, I would say the reason I started writing young adult is because I was freshly out of being uh, one myself, being a teenager, or you know, I was I started writing when I was twenty three, so I was still kind of a young adult. And I wanted to figure out what it what it meant and what I felt and what was mm-hmm. this odd period of transcendent where you you know when you're a young adult, you're discovering what obsesses you for the first time and you don't know why and you don't know what you're going to do with it, but you're just kind of swept up. in a lot of the things that are propelling the rest of your life, like falling in love for the first time, why am I falling in love with this person? Why am I having these feelings? Why am I obsessed with this band? Or why do I want to go on a road trip to this destination? You know, you're just sort of self-interrogating for the first time and it's very rich. And the thing about young adult novels that I'd say is it's really, it's not prescriptive. It's not looking back and trying to put a perspective on a teen experience. When you're writing a young adult novel, you are writing to that audience. So you wanna be really in the moment. That's why first person present is very common in young adult books. It's not really about analyzing that experience. It's about embodying the present intensity and vibrancy of those of that age group, of of people who are living that time. I don't know if you've hung out with a young adult Mm. recently, but teenagers are very present and in the moment, and they are kind of raw nerves, and and that's that's exciting from a storytelling point of view,
0: you know? It is exciting from a storytelling point of view, and yes, I I have a daughter who's now 24, but I vividly remember the questions that got churned and the mirror that got held up to me to think about Mm. my own, God, I I rethought everything from sexuality Mm. to morality to how I felt about money to how I felt about my own body. And I envied mm. her the time she was growing up in, but I didn't envy her the experience because it is such a churn. And I love the idea that the portal to self-discovery is there. I speak about that with memoir writers all the time, but it had never occurred to me that the young adult writer is successfully entering, re-entering that portal in a way mm. that allows you to have a perspective that's not prescriptive. What a great, absolute dictum. I mean, a little bit of <laughs> advice. Uh, however, I mean, we could needlepoint it onto something for people who want to write in this genre because don't be prescriptive. Of course, it's you can't be speaking to us from the pulpit because that's yeah. not who the character is, of course. No,
1: and it, and it I mean, that's death for a young adult novel. If you come in feeling <laughs> yeah. like you want to tell kids how to live, or this is the grand thing you need. I mean, kids have zero patience for that. They are all just really engaged in their own journey, and they want you to give them perspective and, and treat them like the mature, growing individuals they are. So it, you know, and I'm sure you see this with with like you're saying, people who become parents, and then they th- all everyone thinks they have a picture book, and they're yeah. it's all about like <laughs> wanting to teach a kid not not to make a mess or something. And it's like no, the best picture books are are like the John Clausens and Carson Ellis's of the world are just exploring and and mm-hmm. embracing the the wonder of the world. That's that's what young
0: readers care about. It's such a good point. So tell me, everything takes on the idea of having the courage to stand out and. That's a huge issue at any age and one that is terrifying, of course, for young adults. It's terrifying (laughs) for all of us. But since Mm -hmm. my listeners are writers, let's take them through the process a bit of mapping out such a book. How about research? Did you take on, well, for instance, you take on the idea of creating an app. And I know your age, because you just told us you graduated from college somewhere in 2008, 2009. So Mm -hmm. app creation was being done, but not perhaps to the extent that you were paying attention to it. Did you have to go back and research how to create an app to write this book?
1: Wow, absolutely not. (laughs) I wish to God I knew how to make an app, then I'd probably be making a lot more money. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's so funny because... Tell Me Everything is about a 15-year-old. And actually, an interesting Mm -hmm. side note is um, books about 15-year-olds are actually becoming Quite rare. Um, When you're writing a young adult book, often your protagonist will be minimum 16 years old. And once you start going below 16, it often becomes a middle grade book, which is more appropriate for kids ages 9 to 12. But there is kind of a desert for 13 to 15 year olds. Anyway, my protagonist is 15 years old. She's a sophomore. And she's dealing with being an artist and being scared of showing her work. So she posts her work on an anonymous app. (laughs) You know, I'm just flooded. With social media, I'm, as many of your listeners can relate to, like, as an author, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, and, like, not necessarily voluntarily. There's a yes. lot that I don't like about it. Um, I, as a person, am very preoccupied with Silicon Valley and, like, hating it <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, like, hating a lot of the attitude that comes out of that. I, I grew up in San Jose, so it's, like, a personal feeling for, for me. But i um, sure. Anyway, so I was thinking about what is the kind of app that I would want to participate in, and the app in the book um, is not only anonymous, but you only see things that are posted by people within five miles of you, and everything gets erased on every Sunday mm-hmm. night. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's called Veil. Vale. Mm-hmm. and it was really really fun to be like what's an app that i would want to use right now and those there things like geographic proximity and anonymity and all the questions that raises it was really fascinating to me so so that's how i did it i was like what what would i want to engage with mm-hmm. and i'll be honest with you what what happened with ivy the my main character and her journey of artistic expression was like i mean i was writing that i wrote it on de- on um Oh my gosh, what's the word I want to... I I wrote it knowing it was going to be published. So I was on Mm -hmm. deadline, coming up against the production schedule. So me writing about an artist having an existential breakdown about her art being in the world couldn't have been more autobiographical. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the real truth.
0: I really love how creativity begets a life that begets pressure on our creativity. Mm-hmm. That that is a really mm-hmm. nice little snake eating its own tail kind of moment in a <laughs> yes. creative's life. An
1: ouroboros of pure anxiety.
0: There we go. <laughs> Next time I have a deadline, I think I'll write about the deadline, and then I'll have mm-hmm. the deadline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I we recommend know it. We don't take. Yeah. I, I, it, no. Obviously, it's very, very creatively <laughs> um, successful for you. That's just great. I love that. So, we're not taking notes as kids, or, or, unless we're weird. You know, as a as a kid, mm-hmm. I I was not walking around with a notebook in my back pocket. But I talk with writers all the time about how we recreate, the, our adolescence. Our dialogue did you find that it was easily accessible did you speak to other adolescents i mean how do you get back into the head give us a a, a portal entering clue to getting back into that perspective
1: yeah um you know underlying i'm, I'm going to give you a, a more specific answer in a second but i just want to be upfront mm-hmm. by saying the real truth of it and i think a lot of YA writers would say the same is that i'm i i'm 34 years old but I just don't find it difficult. I, I don't feel like I've grown past adolescence in some kind of fundamental way. Like, I feel very connected to the person I was when I graduated from high school. I was, And I constantly kind of go back to that person and check in with her
0: mm-hmm.
1: to see, like, you know, am I... Am I living the life that I envisioned? Am I, am I living up to the grand dreams I had at that time? Like, And if, if I feel connected to her still, I think I'm on the right path. So, so that's part of what draws me to this category. But also, very specifically for writing Tell Me Everything, I set it in a town called Sudden Cove, which is very obviously Santa Cruz, California. And as I mentioned, I grew up in San Jose, that's where I spent all my high school years, which is very close to Santa Cruz. And my friends and I would skip school and go to Santa Cruz, like every weekend was on the beaches at Santa Cruz. That was a very special, magical place for me. So when I started writing Tell Me Everything um, and another book, the current book I'm manuscript I'm working on right now, which takes place in the same town... I was living in Washington, D.C. at the time, and I was just desperate for home and for that feeling I had when I was a teen. You know, I was working in a cubicle. Like, it was not the best of times. And so mm-hmm. I really wanted to revisit that setting and that place and those feelings. So setting is probably the biggest thing for me as a writer, and that was very key to transporting, kind of getting into Ivy's head and who would live there. And, and for me, setting is so pivotal and like how are the characters interacting with the space around them um, and how what does that mean about each other? What's the the tone of the place, the vibe of the place? Santa Cruz is capital V vibe, so it was kind of easy to get into that headspace.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're very generous. You're very generous with that answer when you talk about how you keep this 15-year-old version of yourself close and check back Mm -hmm. in with her. I'm not sure everyone is comfortable with that, but I, I think it's such a, a dearly needed and valued um, tool in one's toolbox as a writer, but also as a person, you know, she's worth checking back in with. And I was so struck in your promotional material, how generous you were with how personal some of your motivation has been for your career. Mm. You've got this fabulous podcast and you talk about um in the promotional material you talk about the beginnings of it um and I Mm -hmm. I hope you won't mind me bringing it up but how a career as you just said the cubicle you weren't too pleased with as well as a relationship Mm -hmm. that wasn't really working out is Mm -hmm. is credited in the in the PR material that you send out for um for the for this this podcast that allows us to get into the head of the storyteller. So let's talk about that for a minute. How do you go in and tap the the bad for the good?
1: Yeah, I mean, you're right. And and what you're very kindly kind of dancing around is the fact that I got divorced. And that led to Mm -hmm. a lot of what I do in my life. Now, I've been writing books since 2009. But the podcast was, you know, it was like, like every big thing, it was kind of on the back burner of my mind. Growing, growing. I was like, oh, I want to be Nina Totenberg and work for NPR. Oh, I love podcasts. Like, how do I get into this audio space? So once I, once my marriage dissipated and I decided to move from DC to Los Angeles, I was like, I think I just have to do it myself. And And I loved the one-on-one interviews. I mean, Fresh Air with Terry Gross, who doesn't love that, uh, podcasts like yours, which are just conversations with people that are experts in their field. And so I decided to reach out to the people that I know um, and knew from Twitter and from Book World and see if they'd sit down and talk to me. And that's how my podcast first draft started. Uh, Wow, I'm losing the thread of your question. But, oh, being personal and and that being kind of a way in for... Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, the
0: bad, how do you how get the good from out of the bad? Because we all have had bad, yeah. you know, you make lemonade, but you really did. And mm-hmm. that's interesting.
1: Yeah, and I, and I appreciate the question because it's, I don't want to be frustrating in my answer, because what comes to mind first is that I sort of don't um, know how to do it any other way. And I know that's frustrating, but I don't...
0: No, I, I mean, in journalism, <laughs> we say go with what you've got. You know, I mean, I was raised up the New York Times and it's go with what Mm. you got. It's three o'clock. What do you got? And we go with what you, Mm -hmm. you know, not that we get it wrong, but it's three o'clock. It's due. So in right. many ways it's not frustrating it's just practical but I think a lot of people again find well oh well, well how could I do that I I've, I've got this you know job I don't like in a cubicle and a marriage that isn't working out mm. and but what you had what you're saying is you had Nina Totenberg the legal the uh, legal affairs correspondent for an NPR she covers politics mm-hmm. in the Supreme Court and that's a hell of a role model right and oh I gosh, think yes. what I'm just trying to get at is we we look at out, and we say, who's uh-huh. doing what, and how do I get there? Have you got other examples of that, of people who you looked to, along with the great and amazing Nina Totenberg, who I also adore, um, who who kept your sights up? Other people like that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, Terry Gross, who is, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not trying to put myself in the same world as Nina Totenberg or, or Terry Gross, but, but they're fantastic, right? And I was a journalist, um, I, I still consider myself a journalist, in that you know, and one of the things I was better at was interviewing. So that was part of what I brought to it. Mm-hmm. I did look to, you know, when I was in the middle of that kind of hard, really, really hard time, I was escaping into the world of podcasts, listening to Mark Marin, Pete Holmes, Terry Gross, I mean, all these people who are what, fantastic interviewers. And I think the the key of that frustrating part of my answer is like, I always have this little voice in my head that's like, well, I can do this. Like, I'm just as good as these people are. (laughs) And I don't know where that comes from, and I don't know if it's, like, advisable or what. But, um... But it really did bolster my confidence and made me feel like, well, I can try. You know, at the, at the very least, I can try. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work, you know, who cares? Um, so <laughs> the other thing is my coping mechanism is work. So it was like, well, what am I going to do? Not like focus my entire energy on something. I have a, like hyper focus situation, which is how I can write books and, and do audio and all that stuff. So I just, I just want to attack a problem and. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it does actually lead back to what we were talking about, getting in touch with my younger self. I mean, I'm very okay with some adolescent-type behaviors that I have and let stick around. And by that, I mean getting obsessed with something, getting really preoccupied with something, researching something arguably too much. Um, I really let myself go there, and it was like, well, if I'm this obsessed with it, if I'm this obsessed with podcasts, and if they're really getting me through the day... I need to be a part of this. I need to find my way into this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think you would probably say the same thing is, you know, pay attention to the signals, I think, like that, that are coming through, Mm -hmm. and then research the heck out of it. Read everything you can about it. Listen to everything you can about it. Go to every conference that you can afford to, to go to about it, and then start making something. And, you know, this is actually the heart of Tell Me Everything. She has kind of a mentor, art teacher, who says, art as hard as you can and that came from my own life, and something I wrote about my own experience was I, in the face of getting divorced and upturning my entire life, and not selling a book. I came close to selling a book, and, and it didn't go right before I got divorced. So, in the midst of all that, I was like, I, "All I can do is create." That's that's what all I know how to do.
0: Yeah, and thank goodness that I the, the podcast, <laughs> by the way, is called First Draft, and, and I'm and I want to just keep mentioning the name because I know the importance of doing that. And the thing that I find. That I thought about a lot listening to it, and it's got two hundred and, and, and more episodes at this point, which is really yeah, admirable. Two fifty this week. <laughs> two fifty this week. All right. And what yeah. I kept thinking about as I was listening to it was before the time of podcasting. I kept thinking about that essential moment in my own world when I realized that my my friends had evolved to being a core group of writers and editors. Who were invested in my success and whose success I was invested in. And that was a big moment for me in my writing life and a big moment in my friendship life and a major turning point in my career. And I think what the podcast you, that you do, so is what, what's really stirred me about it is it provides such access to other writers, kind of smoothing the playing field for those people who don't have the opportunity to meet working writers and ask them those questions. And When I started in the business, you couldn't get that kind of support anywhere online um, on the radio, you know, but you're giving to people that kind of access. And I think that's how we build our dreams is by hearing what other people do. Like you said, the Terry Gross, Nina Totenberg, and you're giving People, this. So then you take it this next step further in your new venture, and it's a a mini series. I love this. It's like a, it's like a a, a little a a podcast following a podcast, and you call it a mini series. I'll think of another Mm -hmm. word for it, maybe, but it's called Track Changes. (laughs) That just began, Um, and as I said when we were talking offline before we started recording. It's like you've taken on the two darkest places in the world, adolescence and publishing. (laughs) Because Track Changes (laughs) is all about demystifying the book publishing process. And, Mm -hmm. oh, dear God, it takes on everything from getting an agent to what really happens behind the scenes after the book contract to how writers can stay sane. I loved listening to a writer you were talking to talk about how I didn't even know if I was allowed to call my agent after she became my Mm -hmm. agent. And it's like, Oh my goodness. So, like surviving adolescents, surviving publishing is a 50-50 possibility. It can be brutal. So what have you learned so far? First of all, like why did you decide to do this mini-series? You've already got this big one, 250 episodes. W- what about the industry that actually how-to part really required and necessitated uh, its own its own podcast?
1: Yeah, well, and I really appreciate the question, and, and thank you for all, all those kind words. Um, it Basically, as you say, I've been doing First Draft for 250 episodes for about five years now. Uh, started it in 2014, and in those conversations, we really do get into it. Um, you know, these are people I've known for years or people I get the opportunity to meet by doing the podcast. You know, that's like kind of the selfish side of doing this podcast is that it does mm-hmm. allow me to meet um, peers and people that I'm really that I really admire. Um, and and I, I felt like, oh, my gosh, this is you know, I wish this had been around when I was starting. I'm providing something that's helping people. You know, I, I, I felt that. And then I started doing these mailbag episodes where I answered listener questions and kind of. A little bit to my shock, the questions I kept getting were like, how do I write a query letter? Um, Mm -hmm. How do I find literary agents? These really sort of basic questions, and I'm not saying basic in a derogatory way, just like fundamental questions about publishing that Mm -hmm. I was like, hang on a second. If you're listening to me and Lainey Taylor talk um, or me and Jason Reynolds talk for 90 minutes, but you can't define what a query is. I'm not serving you correctly like then we're not even using the same vocabulary so I, I just felt like oh I'm not doing the best service to my audience mm-hmm. you know and when I got started in 2009 blogs were it you know you could go find anything that you wanted to know about on blogs or electric lit or whatever and that's is still there there are still fabulous blogs like jane friedman who was a guest on your show i mm-hmm. super recommend everyone listen to that episode of the show um, thank you yeah i it, it mean jane is like the indisputed guru of publishing so and her all of her stuff is online but it's not everything is so disparate now there is so much information but it's harder than ever to find and it's all over the place so i kind of felt like you know what This hasn't been done in podcasting, this kind of audio documentary that says, listen to this, we're going to give you 10 episodes of a show where at the end of it, you'll have at least a baseline of knowledge. And in my head, I was like, okay, every new listener to First Draft, I can tell them start with these episodes. Start with Publishing 101 and get through the process. And then when you turn to the other longer interviews, you'll really have a sense of what those people are talking about. And you'll really be able to gain even more from those conversations. Instead of kind of haphazardly piecing things together based on tons of conversations, you'll be able to kind of craft your own understanding.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I know that feeling well. We're talking... talking about so when you go to make a pitch you blah blah blah, and the person suddenly is looking at you owl-eyed and the word Mm -hmm. pitch is new it just is because that person is where you were at another time in your life and that pitch they are trying desperately to get past the definition of that word and you've moved on so it's a real Mm -hmm. service and you're right jane is a genius I think the series allows for it to be, as you said, well-documented, online, in an audio way that we can carry with us and have it explained Mm -hmm. to us. I agree with you, too, why the reason we do this is also so you can talk to people like I can talk to you. I can hear about the YA world. Mm -hmm. I can call people up and talk to people about any aspect of it. And in doing so, I'm hoping that your own sense of how to publish well is improving. So you're writing something now, you're looking toward publishing. What adaptation, what changes, what are you doing slightly differently now that you didn't do for your first YA, for for Tell Me Everything? What what are you doing now for the next book before the book that you might be able to just pass along as a tip to people as they face their own run-up to their next book?
1: Yeah, I mean, this so doing this series doing track changes, I really got the opportunity to interview a lot of literary agents. I interviewed a lot of editors. I even got the chance to talk to someone who works at a warehouse on the phone. Like, I really dove in and there's a lot of people who are in publishing and who have sometimes published mini books who really don't understand how the industry works and yep, I found sure. out that I was kind of one of them <laughs> and like I learned a ton. And, and I'm so grateful for that. And that has made this entire experience worth it. Um, and as far as looking at my own career and how it's made me reflect on my own experience, you know, I do feel like I'm going to write the books that I write. It hasn't changed what I think about um, as far as what's going to be in my books themselves. But it has made me even more grateful for my agent, the wonderful Sarah Burns of the Gurner Company, It has made me think about The Big Five in an interesting way. I think doing this Track Changes podcast series has made me look more closely at Wonderful independent publishers who are doing fantastic work, who are just as valid and great.
0: The big five being the the big the big five publishing firms. So so we're doing that insider thing. The big five what being the big five publishing firms, and and so and that we all could name. They include Simon and Schuster, and they include Hachette. And they yeah. Mm-hmm. So the indies. So you're looking at the indies. Just wanted to slip that in. Yeah. there. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> yes. Thank you for <laughs> um, for reminding me of that. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is the reason I started the podcast series. Me as a person, and I and I would venture to guess that you are this way too. I'm so much more relaxed and less anxious when I just have the information. Um, I'm just a questioner. Yep. I want to have all the information, and when someone can help me set expectations at a reasonable level, then I'm okay. You know, like my and my agent was great with this. But we run into this all the time with with aspiring writers, right? They think they're going to be able to quit their day job when they sell their first book. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. But publishing isn't great about transparency. So what on earth would lead them to have any other conclusion? There's nobody telling them about how advances are paid out in four parts and taxes are going to take away half of that and your agent gets a cut. So it's it's difficult for people to contextualize. So I was like, I really want people to have more information so they can just be calmer and make decisions more out of their artistic heart than misguided kind of businessy thinking that that won't actually get them the results mm-hmm. that they want. and And I would say that I've been able to reassess, reevaluate and put my emphasis in more in, in places that are just better for my overall kind of career guide um, than I would have before I started the series. So so the books haven't changed.
0: Oh, I think that's wonderful.
1: Yeah, the books haven't changed. Mm-hmm. My, my my representation hasn't changed. But my perspective has changed. And I feel a lot less
0: anxiety. <laughs> sure. And that makes perfect sense to me. Um, I, I years ago, I met a man who he described himself as a therapist for writers oh. and I l- remember laughing out loud he's a psychiatrist in, in New York and he has a very lavish life and then I realized why because he's got <laughs> he's got hundreds of clients of people who are trying to make art and he gives he's also a biographer and he gives guidance and it fascinated me when I realized you know this is something that should not be done without a good therapist at your elbow, and also a a good advisor who says you're not going to make a living from this mm-hmm. solely, you're not going to quit. Your please don't quit your job. Then there's the good writer's accountant who reminds us that the, yes, that the advances split up, that taxes come out. That so this is this is terrific advice. Yeah. And <laughs> as we wrap this up, I I can't I cannot ignore the fact that you published a story in what's now a New York Times best-selling collection. I love the the phrase. It's a villain anthology. Mm-hmm. That's just I just laughed out loud, <laughs> and I want to just get that in there before we we split up because it's called because you love to hate me is the is the name of the collection and it's and it's a wild romp through the idea that while heroes want to save the world villains want to rule it i and i thought oh that's just irresistible you know (laughs) perfect idea you get invited to be part of this collection people a lot of people would like to have such an invitation or was, or, or, or were you, I mean, how did that happen that you became part of this collection, please? Because that's another great way to get published.
1: Yes, it is. And it's, um, and you know, young adult fiction has actually seen kind of an, a major uptick in these short story collections over the last, I would say, five years. And there, there's a lot of fantastic ones out there. This one was put together by Amory, who is a, um, a book lover and a, and a pop singer and also a, Book YouTuber, Mm -hmm. um, and she—I know she's working on many projects of her own. She's like so impressive and amazing, and I'm friendly with her literary agent Joanna Volpe at um, New Leaf Literary. And I'll be completely frank with you: I got an email from Joe because I think that one of their contributors was no longer able to be a part of the collection. And thankfully, because of all Mm -hmm. the work I've done in the community um, and just being friends with Joe and many of her clients, she happened to think of me. So she sent me an email saying, like, I don't know, is this something you want to do? And I was like, absolutely. Everybody loves villains. This is a fantastic concept. Um, So I (laughs) was—and then I went for a run, and I just came up with the idea, and I sat down and wrote it, and Amory was really thoughtful in her notes, and and she's just great in general. So I was super, super fortunate, but, um, you know, as you know— It really is kind of a result of being in the world for a while and making connections and knowing people and being Mm -hmm. kind and generous. And then, then you are often put in a position where people think of you fondly and they're more likely to think of you when opportunities like that come up. So I was very lucky to be asked
0: Well, and that's a great place to leave this because I really believe in that community of kindness Mm -hmm. and the generosity of your podcast is what drew me to your work. So I think those are terrific thoughts to leave people with the idea that say yes. I mean, I know people that have made their way by doing book reviews mm-hmm. and say, you know, step up, write the review. It's not that you have to do a positive review. It's that you have to get involved in the community how you can. So you've already done that and given us some great tips, Sarah. Thank you so much. It was a joy to talk to you and I can't wait to read what you do next. Oh, thank you. It's a joy to talk to
1: you too. This is a, in a fantastic podcast. You yourself are very generous as well. So this was a real joy.
0: Well, thank you. And that's Sarah Enney, author of the YA novel, Tell Me Everything, and the host of the podcast, First Draft, and the podcast mini-series, Track Changes. I'm Marion Roach-Smith, and you've been listening to *Cordy*. *Cordy* is produced by Overit Studios in Albany, New York. Reach them at overitstudios.com. Our producer is Adam Claremont. Our assistant is Lorna Bailey. Want more on the art and work of writing? Visit Marionroach.com and take a class with me. And thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to *Cordy* and listen to it wherever you go.